Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Brian Wallace, orthopedic surgeon here in Naples, Florida. Dr. Wallace, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to have you on today because you're the first orthopedic surgeon we've had on the Key Ingredient. So this will be a lot of fun. A lot of people listening have many different issues when it comes to their joints and, and muscles. And so this will really be great to have you on today. If you don't mind, maybe if you could just tell us just a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. Uh, so I am a, an orthopedic surgeon. I've been here almost eight years now. I did most of my medical training uh, up in the Ohio area. I did my residency in the Akron-Canton area and then a fellowship in uh, Cincinnati in sports medicine. Um, so that's sort of a, a subspecialty area of mine is sports medicine. Uh, I'm the team doctor for the Ave Maria Gyrenes, um athletes, uh, if you guys know that. Uh, school out uh, uh, out east on Immokalee. Sure. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm a member at um, uh, the Joint Replacement Institute. I'm a physician there. Uh, it's a multi-specialty orthopedic group. We sort of each have our own uh, niches that we do uh, and sort of specialize in um, trying to take care of, of our sort of niche areas. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the gist of it. Excellent. Well, I'm always curious to see what kind of got someone into their career and profession. So I guess take, take me back a little bit. Maybe let's go back to high school. Yeah. Um, what were you like in high school? Did you always want to be an orthopedic surgeon and what did things look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I had a sports injury, um, pole vaulting in high school and I hurt my knee and ended up needing arthroscopic knee surgery. So, you know, I had that experience pretty early on and it really drew me towards medicine and then orthopedics in particular. Um, so I really, having that injury and having had surgery, it really sort of pushed me that, that direction. I always played sports growing up too. Um, so being able to sort of work with athletes, get them back to sports, so weekend warriors and that sort of thing. Uh, I think that really pushed me that direction. Excellent. So in high school, so, um, so you knew you wanted to be a physician early on, it sounds like. Yeah. Maybe much. not specifically which one, although right. it does sound like maybe right. you had a pretty good idea yeah. into yeah, what, what specialty you wanted to go into. What sports did you play? Uh, I, I, uh, ran track, bull vaulted, uh, and I played golf, uh, in high school, but I played a lot of other sports younger. I was sort of on the small side. So, okay. Okay. So, uh, so where, where'd you grow up? Was it was in Ohio. In yeah, okay. Okay. So you grew up in Cleveland and then you went on to, to college where? So I went to Ohio university okay. uh, for both okay. undergrad and for medical school, um, in Athens, Ohio. So and what was your major there? Was it biology or chemistry uh, it or was, uh, biology pre-med? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So you went through your four years there and Along comes uh, medical school. Where'd you end up going? So the same place, Ohio University. Okay, well, that's good. Just stay in the yeah, same place. Yeah. That was that was stay nice. Put. Yeah, that was nice. Okay, so what happens? Let's talk about the journey after that, because that's when things, I think, get pretty interesting as far as, you know, residencies and, and different. What was the next stop for yeah. you? So um, I was sort of stationed in the Dayton uh, area and ended up uh, spending time with the, uh, the head team physician for the Cincinnati Reds uh, as part of my uh, intern. I'm sorry, it's part of my medical school experience. That really pushed me even further to want to you know, work with athletes uh, at the college and professional level. Uh, and then I ended up matching uh, in a residency in the Akron-Canton area, and that's a five-year program. And then I spent even more time with the Cincinnati Reds doctor, and that's the fellowship that I did. So by that time, he'd started a fellowship, and that was that extra year of training that I did with him in Cincinnati before I started practice. Okay, so then you went into practice in Ohio as well? No, I, I, I went straight from uh, graduating... Uh, I think I graduated on a Friday and I was seeing patients in Naples on Monday. Morning. Were you real? Well, I was going to say, because so much, so much history you have in Ohio and here yeah. you are end up ending up in Naples. So how did you end yeah. up down here? A really good friend of mine at Ohio university ended up uh, getting an engineering job at the city of Naples. This is back in 2004. 
Um, so I loved visiting him, especially up north when it was cold in the winters. And uh, my eventual wife, Lisa, and I loved being down here uh, and ended up matching with the, my now partner, Dr. Uh, Curtis Biggs, who ended up training in the same program I did up in Ohio. So we ended up not training together at, the, uh, at that time because uh, we were sort of 10 years apart in the spectrum of training, but we knew a lot of the same people. He was looking for a sports medicine physician as he just primarily does joint replacement. So it was, it was a perfect fit. So did it have anything to do with the fact that people are so active down here that it just Certainly. ended up being a great area? Yeah, I mean, the, there's a want and need, and, and I'm sure people know this, this place has grown exponentially. I mean, I've been coming since 2004, and even just being here for the last eight years, we've seen an explosion in growth, and people just need good quality care. And it's, as you know, one of the most active places uh, in the country. People are always outside, walking, running, exercising, playing tennis, pickleball, everything. So people want to stay active. They want to stay going and do things they love. So that's, that's, that's what we do. So you're like a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills, basically being down here, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a, you know, everybody I know, so I play a little tennis and, uh, you know, do my own thing. And everybody I know is, uh, is always hurt to some degree, including myself. There's always something. Yeah. And I guess, you know, sometimes I envy the people who don't work out because they say maybe they're, maybe they're in better shape than I am to some degree, because uh, I feel like I'm always, always hurt. What are some of the more common injuries you see down here in your practice? Uh, I, you know, I tend to, with my niche, see a lot of shoulder injuries. Uh, that seems to be uh, pretty prevalent uh, in my practice. Um, uh, I would say shoulder, knee, uh, and elbow, probably the, the, the biggest areas we see. Um, everything from golf and tennis and those types of injuries to, you know, contact injuries, that sort of thing. So that's know, what I'm saying is, is a lot of it from, from tennis and golf. I mean, do you find both or is it more than more tennis than the other? Cause a little more active or uh, it just depends. I think there's a ton of golfers in town. So I, there are a lot. I, yeah. Yeah. A ton of golf courses. So I see that a lot. Uh, yeah. Runs the gamut. Wow. And wow. also, you know, I take trauma call at, at both the NCH and physicians regional. So I do see some of the higher energy car accidents and more se severe injuries too, as well. You know, we take care of those as well. So what does that look like? What are some of those injuries that you would see? You, know, you see some pretty significant, you know, car accident injuries. A lot of the really, really severe injuries end up going to the trauma center up in Fort Myers. But um, yeah, I mean, single extremity, even pretty severe open fractures. We take care of all that sort of stuff down here in Naples. So uh, it runs the gamut. Yeah. So you do knee replacements as well? We do. Yeah, we do. Uh, my partner uh, and I both do knee replacements. Uh, he does primarily hip and knee replacements. Uh, hip and knee replacements is pretty much all he does at this point. Okay. Uh, so, so question for you with, with, with knee replacements, mm -hmm. uh, th there's a theory. Uh, some people think it's, if you need two knee replacements, you get them done at one time. Mm -hmm. Some say that's just crazy. You do it yeah. one at a time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons of sort of what we call staging it or doing one waiting period of time and doing the other, you know, doing it bilaterally, you really got to be in good shape, you know, be able to sort of get around and, and, and have the pain of both at one time, but you're sort of knocking it out. Uh, you know, both at one time. So, you know, there's pros and cons to have that discussion with your physician. Yeah. I would think you'd be pretty uncomfortable for a while if yeah. you do both, but like you said, then you knock it out right. as well, which right. is, which is pretty yeah. attractive. Yeah. So when you do these surgeries, like a, a knee replacement, how long does it usually take to even do something like that? Uh, the procedure itself only takes about 45 minutes to an hour. It's, it's, it's pretty quick. Uh, you know, we're getting better with the technology, the way we do these, uh, how invasive we need to be to put them in all of these joint replacements are just getting more and more streamlined the technologies is better the recovery is faster it's, it's it's amazing and a lot of these we used to do in the hospitals as inpatient and patients would stay you know days and days on end now people are going home same day 
So we've, we've really pushed the same day joint replacements in the right patient uh, and had some fabulous results. Wow. I would imagine that there's certain preventive things we could do before hoping to, to not have to see no you, question. no offense, but no um, you know, what are some of the things I mean, stretching obviously I would imagine is, is a pretty big one. I mean, what do you normally recommend? Yeah. I mean, staying strong and, and, and keeping flexible is, is really is key um, injury prevention and preventing it before it gets to that point. Certainly paramount and you know with us it's we always try everything non-surgical first before we get to that surgical uh fix you know we have uh, injections physical therapy uh, anti-inflammatory medication all these things we try beforehand we certainly don't always jump to surgery uh, for a lot of these these issues people have so sure are there times when someone has something that's bothering them that you would encourage maybe they don't uh stretch at that time because it could actually probably it, it could probably hurt the situation right yeah. or not necessarily yeah i mean if it, it just really depends on on the injury, um, you know, the body part, that sort of thing. But yeah, certainly, uh, you know, trying some, uh, you know, rest ice certainly is a sort of a first line treatment. But uh, you know, there are some certain red flags for certain body parts where you really need to get an evaluation. Okay. Okay. So, what do you, what are some of your favorite parts about being a physician? I mean, what do you love most about it? I love people uh, keeping people active and keeping people going. You know, playing sports growing up, being a big sports fan. You know. Even if my patient isn't an athlete, I always try to sort of treat them like that. I, you know, I, people always tell me, well, I'd be able to play golf or tennis after this surgery. And I said, that's always my goal is to get you back to your previous level, keep you going, keeping doing the things you like to do. Uh, and that's what's really gratifying about being an orthopedic surgeon is we actually have fixable problems. A lot of specialties in medicine, you're managing disease. You never make anybody better. You manage it. Uh, we can certainly fix a broken bone or replace a joint and essentially cure a person of that issue. And it's, it's really gratifying. I can see that. So yeah, you have people come in. I mean, they, they love doing what they were doing. They got hurt doing it and it's, you're kind of putting them back in to doing what they enjoyed uh, the most. I, I think, I think that's a terrific thing. What do you, uh, what do you dislike about what you do or not like as much? Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff with insurance is dealing with insurance is getting treatments approved for patients. It's, it, it's getting more and more frustrating. There's just more and more roadblocks out there for some reason as the insurance companies get richer and, and it's, it's, it's frustrating, you know, having to fight and advocate for patients to get what they really need and having to fight with insurance companies. It's, that's not a fun part of the job for sure. Yeah. I, I think the world has changed as well. I mean, even in your profession, I mean, now you're, you're a business owner to some right. degree as well, right? right? I mean, you go to, go to medical school to, to be able to help people and perform surgeries and you also have to run a, a business. Right. So what's right. that like? What does your practice look like? How many people are in your practice? So um, we have uh, right now we have um, two, three, four, five physicians. Um, we've got a couple more coming down the pipeline. And then we've got uh, another four physicians assistants working with us and then another staff of uh, close to 30 people at this point. So uh, what's nice about our practice is we've, we've got not only physicians, physician assistants, but we have uh, our own physical therapy department downstairs. We have an MRI scanner in the building as well. So the goal when you walk through the door at the Joint Replacement Institute is we can take care of you from start to finish. You know, what tests do you need? We'll get an x-ray right there. You'll get an evaluation by a professional, treatment options, uh, and then therapy afterwards. So it's it's really, you're not going all over town having to do an MRI scan somewhere and then coming back and then going to physical therapy and coming back. You know, everything is right in-house. And that's that's something we always- I think people appreciate that. They don't yeah. have to go everywhere. Definitely. So so when people come see you, I mean, the first first time they come visit you, it's, it's a consultation. I guess they tell you a little bit about what's bothering them. What happens next? Is an MRI usually the next? Well, we start with plain film x-rays, um, really can rule out a lot of things just based on an x-ray. Um, and then depending on what that shows, what their 
history and physical exam is like, you know, sometimes we can make the diagnosis and discuss treatment options. If it's more of a soft tissue injury, you know, MRI scan can come into play to get some more information. Uh, and then treatment wise, you know, we always try non-surgical things first, you know, and, and if a patient fails that and we feel surgery is appropriate, that's offered uh, at that point. Is uh, is a PRP, am I pronouncing that right? Is that, is, so is that a big thing that you do yeah, as well? we're doing a lot of PRP. So that's called platelet-rich plasma. So essentially what we do is we draw a patient's blood and we have a centrifuge. So we spin the blood, the red blood cells fall down, the plasma comes to the top and that's extracted and injected. Um, you know, there's some early evidence to suggest that it helps, helps with arthritic change, uh, some tendon issues. It's such a new technology. Insurances really aren't paying for it at this point. We see it coming down the pipeline as it becomes more mainstream and we've got literature to back up that it works, but we've had some really good success with it. Is, is it being a non-surgical option or an adjunct to a surgery? I hear about it quite a bit. I know a lot of people do that. So, so you said there's the, so there's the plasma, so you separate it and you actually inject the plasma right back in, correct? Exactly. Is that, and what's the theory behind the medical theory behind that? Why, why does that potentially work? So you, the, the plasma itself has healing factors uh, and some possibly anti-inflammatory effects. That's, that's the idea behind how we think it works. And is it more effective by separating? Is that, is that the concept? Yeah, see the, the whole blood that, that falls down to the bottom of the centrifuge doesn't have the healing factors. It's the plasma that we skim off the top and that's what's injected. So you isolate that and then right. you get more effect exactly. out of that. Interesting. Exactly. Now, how, how, how much of that do you do in your practice? Is that, is that a popular thing now? It's or? getting more and more popular for sure. Um, uh, you know, the, the fact that it's not covered by insurance can be an issue and there is a cost to it, but, uh, certainly the way I explain it to my patients is it's, it's a tool in our tool belt. You know, we can't always say that it's hundred percent going to work, but a lot of times it does and it saves patients surgeries or as an adjunct to healing for a surgical procedure. Yeah. How did COVID affect your practice? I mean, so obviously in, uh, was a March of 2020, everything yeah. shut down. I mean, right, imagine right. you couldn't see patients. What was that like? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, for the shutdown period, we were only seeing post-operative patients. We weren't seeing new patients. You know, a lot of our visits were, were through telehealth, telemedicine, uh, and it certainly affected the medical community uh, from an inpatient standpoint, physicians getting sick, uh, patients getting sick. Uh, and, and we've seen probably a decrease of about 20 to 30% in terms of, of patient volume. I think still patients are too afraid to get an evaluation by a doctor unless it's really, really severe. Sure. Um, so it, it's, it's been tough. Luckily we were uh, able to not let anybody go through the whole COVID process. We kept all of our employees and, and that was a, that was a goal of ours and we accomplished that. Yeah, every business owner went through that. Not an easy thing right. to do. Right. So with telehealth, I mean, so what's that like for you? I mean, you have to see people. I mean, it's really yeah. you're pretty limited what you could do. I would imagine yeah, it's, it's harder for surgeons because we really, it's better for us to get our hands on you and, that's the best way to evaluate you is to by physical exam. You know, some of the post-operative visits, we can see your range of motion. Uh, and, and we've done that, some of that telehealth, uh, um, reviewing MRIs and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's tough to get the whole picture uh, through a telehealth, at least for our certain specialty. Okay. So on average, how many uh, surgeries do you do a week? Um, to, uh, somewhere around the uh, 10 surgery range. That's per a lot. Week. Yeah. yeah. So what's a, what, just walk me through a typical day for you. So it, Tuesdays, I'm sorry, two, yeah. Mondays and Wednesdays are my full office days, so I'm seeing new patients, post-operative patients, uh, and follow-ups. And then Tuesdays are my joint replacement days, so I do my uh, shoulder and knee replacements on Tuesdays. Thursday is my outpatient day, so my at my surgery center, so that, that uh, that's the majority of the, the cases that I'm doing, so outpatient rotator cuff tears, uh, ACL reconstructions, you know, tennis elbow surgeries, that, that type of thing, fracture work. <clears throat> and then Friday split uh, between office every other week and surgery every other week. So 
Okay. Okay. And then you said you're on call at the hospital as yep. well. How often is that? Then? Uh, it's usually between three and four days uh, okay. a month. Um, so it's not extremely often, but uh, a weekend every every other month, sort of how we split it up. Okay. So when you got into this profession, like like any physician, you were in the business to help people. I mean, what would you say was different than what you expected? I mean, obviously the insurance is not a fun part. I know you mentioned, but is there anything that kind of wasn't what you would expect it to be when you were kind of going through the process? You know, I think um, what's been surprising sort of in a good way is, is the trust that re people really you know, put in you to really get them back to doing activities or in some cases, you know, with infections or, or bad fractures to really potentially save their lives and, and the trust that they put within you is their well-being in your hands is a great responsibility, but it's, it's so rewarding. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine you love this area. It's just a great place for you to work and oh, build a practice. It. Love it. No question. What, uh, what, as far as medical breakthroughs, I mean, anything you see on the horizon that you think people should know about that, that could maybe put them at ease you know, versus surgery yeah, or anything I mean, else? I, so I, I work really closely with Arthrex, which is one of the world's largest um, orthopedic companies and working with the development of new technology with them in different facets um, and stuff coming down the pipeline is, is phenomenal. Even within the last five years, the way we do most of these routine procedures are getting less and less invasive. You know, arthroscopy, which is where we make uh, poke holes to look into joints and work with, we've even made the poke holes smaller working with what we call a nanoscope. Uh, the, the technology for shoulder replacements is getting less invasive in terms of how much bone we need to take to do replacements. I mean, uh, the technology is amazing. The stuff coming down the pipeline is great. Me being able to see and work with this new technology as it comes out is is really exciting. That is. So how does it work with the nanoscope? You make like just a little bit, little little it's a, it's, opening? It's a poke hole, yeah. It's literally a needle camera. And then it's a camera goes right yeah, in there. The technology how is, far can you bring the camera down? I mean, how does that? Uh, I mean, it's got a working length of centimeter. I mean, okay. you can really do pretty much everything you can with a, with a regular scope. I've done some of these procedures in the office where the patient's sitting there talking to me and performing some relatively major surgeries. It's, it's amazing. I, that, you know, that I think is a huge area <clears throat> where we're going to develop. And then sort of, we touch down the PRP and stem cells. I think solving potentially arthritis and, and joint issues with that technology is, is probably the next major breakthrough. To go back to stem cell. I mean, that's all I hear these days. I mean, everybody's spending probably billions of dollars on stem cell. Is right, that, right. is that, do you see that as the future? I mean, it's a, it's a hot button topic and you really have got to be careful when a physician mentions stem cells to you, you know, the idea behind stem cells is you're taking an immature cell that can turn into any cell. You know, the, the problem is where do you get that from? Is it really a stem cell? I mean, those are the two major issues. Mm -hmm. You can take them from your own body. And where we typically do that is through adipose tissue, which is fat or from your bone marrow. So harvesting it from yourself and isolating it. That way you really do have true stem cells from your own body. The problem is that people, patients over 65, their amount of stem cells in their bone marrow or adipose tissue decreases. So every year it decreases as right, you hit a certain right. age? Okay. So are you harvesting stem cells? Probably. You really have to be careful in the physicians that sell you what we call allograft stem cells. Um, recently, there's been a, a change with the, with the FDA that essentially there are no more what we call allograft stem cells available. They pulled them all off the market. So if a physician tells you that they have a stem cell that's not from your own body. That, that's probably not really true. Interesting. So, you know, there's physicians all over the country and world who are selling stem cells as the be all end all, but are you really even getting stem cells? Is it being applied in the correct area? You, you just really got to be careful uh, doing your research, finding the right physician who will talk to you the right way and actually give you the indicated treatment.
You say the right area. Is it like a cortisone shot? Like you really have to find that exactly. spot? So okay. all of our injections we do in office, we use an ultrasound. So we really know where any injection we do is going. Some some physicians don't. They just blindly inject somewhere. How do you know that it's getting where it needs to be? Sure. You know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, red flag areas that patients have got to be aware of. How long does it take for a patient to realize if it, if it worked or not? You know, everybody's a little bit different, but what I've seen is it does take a little bit more time with the stem cells as opposed to a cortisone shot or a PRP injection. Um, you know, typically within a month to two months, you'll know. So can you, you can use someone else's stem cells? I mean, is that, can that we be done? We used to be able to take what we would call um, umbilical stem cells. So they were, you know, purified from umbilical tissue, stored on dry ice, and we were able to inject that into patients. But again, that, that live tissue is off the market now. So that's what they, okay. Right. Right. Uh, and that's been a recent sort of development in the last month or so. Wow. Now the athletes that you work with as well, are there any common injuries with them? Cause listen, you and I both know, I mean, following sports for so many years, I mean, everyone's getting more and more athletic. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what kind of athletes we have today. Are you noticing an increase in injuries? And if so, are there certain ones that are more common than others? Yeah, actually, you know, during COVID, just with everything going on, we certainly had less sports injuries because the high school and college kids were playing less. But, you know, at Ivy Maria, I think 40% of the student body plays a sport. So that's a lot of athletes wow. we see. So, I, you know, I, I tend to see a lot of ACL injuries. I do have uh, uh, Thursday, I have a, a, a college basketball player with an ACL we're reconstructing. Um, so a lot of ACL injuries uh, in that patient population is probably the most common. Okay, interesting. So for anyone listening right now, we have our audience is is, is very vast, right? We have entrepreneurs, um, we have you know young young students who want to you know get into certain professions. Any advice you have for anyone kind of listening and saying, you know what, that sounds like a field I might want to explore a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, with anything, follow your passion. You know, it, it, once I sort of honed in and this is what I really wanted to do, I did everything I needed to do. Know, grades wise, interview wise, test score wise, to get the opportunity to put yourself in the position to succeed. So find a passion, uh, follow it. And if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you wanted very early on, which is uh, same with my profession. So I think that's, that's not a new, that's not rare, uh, not usual, I should say, but, uh, but it's interesting when you do see something like that. You also something a little bit, and we'll kind of close with this, but something unique as well. You have your pretty big presence on social media. I mean, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about kind of the message you're trying to send. Yeah. So I, you know, I have a, an Instagram and a Facebook page and I just started a TikTok page. Um, you know, I try to be educational in, in terms of what are some treatment options for joint pain. You know, I try to have, throw in some humor every once in a while to sort of humanize the aspect of So that for Valentine's Day, I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're certainly not stuffy shirted uh, in our practice and we like to have fun. But, you know, just to give patients a wide variety, you know, a peek behind the curtain, you know, what does surgery look like? What does recovery look like? Uh, what are some of the new technologies out there? Uh, and I've had a lot of a great feedback from it. There are multiple ways, but where can our listeners find you? Uh, so on uh, both uh, Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Brian Wallace is, is my handle. So it's, it's pretty easy to find. Excellent. Well, listen, I appreciate you being on the uh, Key Ingredient Podcast. It was a lot of fun. And uh, thanks so much for everything you do. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks.